and welcome again to the Strange Brew Podcast. My name's Jason Barnard, and that was Zauder Z. Is it Zauder Z, Richard? It is Zauder Z in certain parts of the world. I think in where it really originates, I think they pronounce it Zweda Z, but, you know, what are you going to do? Anyway, that was uh, Zauder Z and Lancelot's theme from the new Zenith uh, release on Light in the Attic, out now. And uh, that, but the recordings from that go back from the 1972 to 73 era because we have Richard Orange here in the studio. And Richard, I, I think you're uh, the music industry's most unheralded artist. You know, such uh, fantastic material. And I think even now, especially with the Light in the Attic release, people only now are really, really appreciating your amazing music, including the opening track, Lancelot's Theme. Oh, thank you. Yeah, unheralded. It's, it's, it's a big job, but someone's got to do it, right? Hmm. <laughs> Can you take us back to Lancelot's theme and that period of time with Zadazi in, in the early 70s? Yeah, um, you know, the band is uh, was uh, put together with uh, Kim uh, Foreman, Jean Bonar, Gary Simon Bertrand, who's our drummer, John on bass, Kim on keyboards, and myself on guitar and, uh, of course, you know, singer. Those were in the, the first, uh, really the first Memphis sessions. I think you have, you have the, uh, my first little band when I was about 15 or 16, a, mm. a day album. Don't you have that? I, I do. Okay. So, so this would be post that and that, that little release is what, you know, led to a booking agent that hooked us up with um, a management that was out of uh, Jackson and then later uh, Memphis and um, and a, a sound a concert sound company. So anyway, he hooked us up. There was a there was a great studio there in Memphis. I didn't know a lot of this information at the time, but they'd actually uh, built a TMI, which was Trans Maximus Studios in Memphis, and it was actually modeled to be. They traveled to to, uh, to London, uh, to Abbey Road. They attempted to make it look and feel, and, and I've seen Abbey Road, so they did a good job. It was very much like being there. Mm. And the first real Zyder Z sessions uh, took place in, in Trans Maximus or TMI. It's, what was that? TMI International. Yeah, Trans Maximus International, it stood for. Then the... Uh, Song was um, you asked me about was uh, what <laughs> Lancelot's theme. Yeah, Lancelot's theme, and uh, it's just a, a good old fashioned bit of a love song. You know, um, there's not much else to say about it. I think it's got a lovely melody. Mm. It's got a nice hook. <laughs> yeah, I think you can dance to it. That's an interesting connection when you're talking about TMI Studios. We've, we're kind of almost trying to recreate the spirit of Abbey Road, which obviously has strong links to the Beatles. And that does seem to have shadowed your time, you know, of the past 50 years was kind of how your work has sort of echoes of, of the best of the, the Beatles and the Fab Four. Sure. And, you know, it, I know I'm sure there's a, a lot of people, a lot of artists feel like this. I mean, we all get, I mean, so many of us get hung up in that department there because most of us weren't even playing music before they came about. But I actually was. I was already a folky and was, was playing very young at, at 11, you know, and I was playing 
and loving acts like Peter, Paul, and Mary and um, the Kingston Trio. Now we're really getting old, aren't we? <laughs> and, uh, you know, I just love the folky stuff. In fact, and, and Chad and Jeremy, I'm, I'm sure you know them or have heard them. Jeremy Clyde's been on the show. He's been on your show. Yeah, I love that album. That was one of my favorite records. And so it was. I was easily sucked in to anything melodic. So, you know, in all honesty, when the Beatles came along, I, I, I was a bit threatened, you know, because I didn't do anything electric. You know, I was like um, Bob Dylan in reverse or something. And uh, I, I thought, oh, well, you know, this will fade, you know. So um, that happened, right? <laughs> Oh, yeah. So, but, you know, I don't even remember the moment. I don't remember the moment where I just suddenly, you know, became ta so taken with what they were doing. In fact, I, the Beatle albums I had, you know, people brought them over and left them. And I didn't even buy one until Rubber Soul. Mm. And I absolutely love that because that was probably the folkiest thing they did. So I guess I'm giving a little bit of my roots there because, you know, I was, was really taken with folk music. I really wanted to touch so many of the areas of music that they brought forth. I think that's actually one of the reasons I was so taken with with moving to Memphis because I knew by a certain time that so much of that influence of everything that they did, except for the Motown things, and lovely enough, I got signed to Motown in later years, uh, publishing out of New York. But... Uh, mm. And then the beat and the rubber solo album, which just blew me away because that was some of the best folk music ever, mm. in my opinion. I was really very influenced by a lot of other groups, but there's something you now that happens within it's also it's about a lot of it's about you know the brain, a lot of it's about your your vocal instrument itself, you know, which is really an instrument. Yeah, you don't know why it happens, but for some you know some reason or not. Uh, some of us just really emulate a lot of that, you know, that technique and that sound, whether we like it or not. I remember reading, you know, Julian Lennon once said that, uh, you know, he got so tired of being told he sounded so much like his father. And then he said every time he tried not to sound like John Lennon, he sounded like David Bowie. I, I could totally relate to that because I did the same thing. <laughs> every time I tried not to sound like any of them, well, then I'd sign like someone else that was already out there. So You embraced it in a way with our next track, Beatlesque, which is from your Big Orange Sun album. That's exactly what I did. I said, to hell with it. I'm just going to pull out all the stops and, you know, try to do a, do a song intentionally, you know, like uh, they might have done uh, back in the time of All You Need Is Love, I Am The Walrus. And uh, what's the third one? Strawberry Fields, Forever. I actually caught all of Beatlesque in a little cabin by the lake on a 16 track, which is really pretty astounding to me now. Yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't want anyone to dare me to do it again. And there's all little samples. and Is that is that little samples of John Lennon and stuff in there? Yes, there is. Uh, I think I can get it. I don't think anyone cares <laughs> anymore. I did. I sampled his voice. There's one line in there where he's actually saying he was doing what we're doing—an interview um, at WNEW Radio—and I had a bootleg album of it. And uh, 
Conrad Mays is talking to a friend of his in New York that uh, worked at a restaurant, and he says, oh, I just want to say hello to my friend Richard, you know. Mm. <laughs> and so that's in there. And something about number nine, number nine Beatle thing. And a couple other in there. <laughs> that was just totally pull out all the stops, have have all the fun one could have. But I, I was the only I was the only one there. Well let's uh let's give Beatlesque a spin. All righty.
So, Richard, next we've got a million miles away. When when was that uh, recorded? Um, million miles away was probably from around nineteen eighty four eighty five eighty four eighty five before I moved back to the UK again. That was done at another studio in Memphis, Sounds Unreal, and it's really, uh, it's just one of those crafted songs. You know, it's uh, really just about people thinking they know, they know what you're thinking, knowing what you're about, you know, and they think they've got you nailed. And the truth is, you're a million miles away from what they think. And that is often the case with us artists, you know, that (laughs) everyone always thinks with this or with that. And they usually couldn't be more wrong. We're the most insecure beastie, I think, you know, on the planet or in the seas. And I'm sure you must know that. <laughs> <laughs> so is that, uh, is that one of your unreleased tracks? That is another unreleased track. And this is, so there's a cluster of songs uh, in this show which I think are unreleased as well. So it's a, a, you know, a real treat to hear those. Yeah. It wasn't really even a final mix, which uh, that's true of many of the things that are on there, I think. Million miles away. Million miles away.
So, Richard, after a million miles away, we have uh, Deer. Can you tell us about Deer? Is that another one of uh, the unreleased material which really shouldn't be unreleased because it's of such a, a high standard? Uh, well, thank you so much, Jason. The, the um, thing I can say about Deer that what I really like about it, that was a, a demo I did. I was actually doing it to, to get to book some gigs and such. And I wanted to include a few originals, you know, and a few covers just to just to play around for, uh, you know, club owners and what have you. And um, Dear was a song I actually wrote in Tulsa, where I'm staying now. It's just sort of playing role. A lot of songwriting and when you go out to do vocals, is it's very much like being an actor. And I... I just recall all those wonderful feelings of because uh, I didn't really have anyone in mind. There was no one in my life at that time. So, in all honesty, I'll give a, a tip of the hat to Elvis Costello because I thought it was uh, really wonderful. He did a song, and it was just a one-word title like that. I think it was. Um, do you know what I'm talking about? Oh yeah. Uh, uh, she. Yeah, that was that. That was that. His cover. Yeah. And I thought, well, that's really clever. I like that. So I just thought, well, oh, dear. You know, how <laughs> about dear? Hmm. And uh, I did write that uh, between uh, a lake house I used to stay out and, and then and then Tulsa. I, I finished it up. And I worked on it quite a bit, rehearsed it a lot with myself, and, and I've never played it with a group, and I've never had a proper recording of it. So this guy here... Uh, Charles Tuberville in Tulsa, he's got a home studio. And I went in and I just banged out about four or five of those. And that was it, just flat out. That's it, live, and that's how it came out. And you can tell that, of course, by the silly uh, the silly little chit-chat that happens before about the Hunters, yeah. But that is one of my favorite songs. That's one I don't have many, you know. We get tired of ourselves really easily. I hope that one day I, I can get that cut or cut it and it will still maintain that freshness that it does for me. Fantastic. Well, let's uh, let's play it and let's hear Charles and Richard talking at the start. All right, dear. <laughs> dear. Song about rolling venison meat. Here's a, here's a, here's a, here's a, here's a song for hunters. It's entitled Deer. Why did, you, why did you call it Deer Hunters? I did. I thought that would be too intimate. Now, I don't like to get too intimate with hunters. Okay. Uh, this is an original song from my vast array of original songs. It's entitled Deer, and here it is. <laughs> of jewels in the crown But I just want this one jewel I found It's right in front of me The only jewel I see Here is you Dear You know There are millions of fish in the sea But there's only one girl for me 
Cause I've been from shore to shore And it's you that I adore My dear, so please come here And be the one Cause I just want one And please let's get on with it Cause I'm tired of it And I know we'll fit There ain't no regrets You'll see Cause you're the one for me My dear So please come Here They say There are billions of stars in the sky But there's only one gleams in my eye And she's right in front of me The only star I see Here is you, dear So be that one Oh, I just want one Oh, I'm so tired of this Let's get on with it Cause I know we'll fit There'll be no regrets You'll see Cause you're the one for me My dear So please come So now we have absolutely positively from Big Orange Sun. And that's a bit of a sort of 50s rocker. Yeah. When I got to uh, Memphis, I can tell you that, uh, oh, they had these wonderful oldie stations there. And so much of that rockabilly that came out of Memphis, you know, it was so influential, you know, to so many of the, the Mercy sound and the Mercy bands, you know, and all of all of the UK, I'm sure hearing the first rock and roll. So, you know, I had reached a place where, you know, when you really check that stuff out, it's like, you know, God, I want to do that. You know, it's like, you know, like a great actor, you know, a handsome devil. And it's like every girl wants him, you know, and every man wants to be him. So I felt that way about rock and roll and rockabilly when I really got turned on to it. And I just used to study it and, and, um, I just thought it's a fa- it was a, a fascinating art form, really. The original early rock and roll, your blue suede shoes, you know, Hound Dog, all of that. And oddly enough, you know, a very big company, and I always hoped they would want to use it for an advert, but they, they never did. And that was, can I say FedEx? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And uh, you remember they would say absolutely positively on time. Mm. Sometime in the uh, 80s and then late and, and on into the 90s, I believe, um, that was their, their little motto on all their television ads. And I, d- I don't do that much borrowing from, you know, things like, you know, I know John Lennon did that a lot from posters and things like that. And I thought, well, I'm going to do a bit of that. And so it's like absolutely positively 
I will express my love to you. So that's where that came from. Craftwork again.
this is uh, this next song is uh, a song of yours that I've listened to for quite quite a while now, and it's one of my favourite songs of yours. But I think again, it's unreleased, out of time. Thank you so much, Jason. I do appreciate it. That one is another one that I I, I don't listen to it a lot, but when I do, it knocks me out. And I've noticed when I put it up on some of the sites, I can actually say out of all of my songs. Out of Time gets more positive hits than any any other song that I've ever put up. I know it's a bit Lennon-esque in there that just comes through, but uh, I didn't set out really to do that. If you'd like to know the background that, I'm not going to mention any names, don't want to hurt anyone's feelings or anything, but um, I wrote that one night in a hotel room. It just fell right out of me. When I was working in a recording studio, and they had a, a new engineer in there, and he was very unexperienced, and you know, I had a crew of session players, and things were going pretty well. And then uh, I was opened up in a bass player on um, a song, and uh, he wanted to go back and listen to a couple of the other run-throughs that we had recorded, and um, without mentioning the names, anyone's names, or the studios, or even where I did it, but. Um, uh, he said, well, I don't actually have those anymore. And I said, I said what do you mean you don't have those anymore? <laughs> he said, what about, what about these tracks? And he, being new to the game as an engineer, he had just inadvertently or, you know, without thinking, erased about a half dozen tracks. <laughs> and And some of them were ones that we were about to work on. So, out of time. I, you know, I, I actually, I didn't, I thought, I went to the loo, I, I had to look in the mirror, I said, all right, you got two ways you can go here, you can go back in there screaming, ra- you know, screaming, ra- raving maniac, and just chew a new one, you know, out of the guy, and embarrass everyone, and make everyone uncomfortable, I said, oh, you can be a little bit bigger than that, and, because it, it, it's going to kill the session anyway, so... I just took a swallow and splashed my face and I just walked back in there and we we just continued on doing what we were doing. But I was really crushed by that because, you know, it's so difficult to get, it can be so difficult to get, uh, you know, four or five players out there on the floor and everybody finally clicking, you know, on a track and you know you've got it and you're so pleased and, you know, now all you have to worry about is getting a great vocal and, and the overdubs and all that. And and that's much more fun and much easier than getting that extraordinarily good track. And now I had to go back to the hotel and I just, you know, I went to my room and I I actually think I heard I heard the first Coldplay song on uh, on the radio. I don't remember what the record was at this moment. I remember it was a great video. First time I'd ever seen them. And between that and and, and my in my absolute despair, I wrote out of time right there in, in just about three minutes. It all just came flowing right out, which, you know, those are the best ones. Everyone, you know, has probably told you that. When they just write themselves, you just have to, you just have to get out of the way and uh, you just let them come through.
So now we have Man With No Hands, a bit of a sort of rocker. This Is is this from the, the 1980s as well? Man With No Hands is from, I believe, the uh, mid to late 80s. I used to call it the five-guitar band. The guitarists besides myself uh, were uh, Rick Nielsen. He was coming through town, and he did a show, and I was backstage with the show, and I said, hey, you want... He asked what, what I was doing, and I told him what I am doing because I'd left the studio to, to go and record. I mean, to go see them, and, 
and he said, well, you want me to play on anything? He's great like that. You know, he just, he's so ready to do it. And I said, God, that'd be great, Rick. Let's do it. And so we went back over to Sounds Unreal since I'd been working it in there anyway. And we put him on it. And uh, the other guitarist is Don Smith, who's very well known in Memphis and a great engineer and producer. And then uh, a wonderful guitarist who was very well known, played with some really big acts in his day, was Jack Holder. And he's on there. So I think that's three, Don and Rick Nielsen and myself. And uh, there's two more. And I can't think of their names right now. So it's the it's the only time I've ever had five different guitarists on one song. And amazingly, nobody's really getting anyone's way, which is really special. And uh, Rick Nielsen takes the solo on Man With No Hands and, and all the rest of us, you know, are playing around all doing our own little, you know, our own little distinctive bits that we do. So Man With No Hands is the man with five, let's see, what is it? Uh, I could have called it Man With Ten Hands. <laughs> And probably should have. Shit. 
So, Richie, we now have Blue Dream, which is, a, you know, another kind of more a simple acoustic bass track of yours, another such eloquently crafted song. Yeah, it's, um, fortunately, we, we, we've gone somewhere in this century, uh, that's good. Blue Dream is um, one I did in, in Austin. I didn't have a lot of time, but I had really just written that. It was sort of based on the name of a cannabis that they, they had out in California, which I was privileged to, to taste. And that's actually what it's called. But I thought, oh, wow, it's called Blue Dream. And I've never in my whole life written any songs about the blues or with the word blue in them. So I thought, well, I need to do one, you know. So I conceived a Blue Dream, and that was out in, in Orange County, uh, California. And uh, I started putting together Blue Dream. And uh, there's a lot of philosophical things about my belief systems, which I, I won't bore you or anyone with. But uh, that's sort of where it's coming from. I uh, was in Austin for a couple of different things. I do a bit of artwork, and I was seeing someone in a gallery there about selling some of my art and um, photography. And uh, I got some time. This is so funny. I'm talking about writing it in Orange County, a song called Blue Dream, and I recorded it in Yellow Dog Studios. (laughs) So there it is. You got yourself a rainbow. I did that as late as uh, around 2014. It's not. It's only about four years old, something like that. Before I wake up 
just to see the horse egg up. I wake up to see the horse egg up. I wake up just to see the horse egg up. I wake up just to see the horse egg up. I wake up just to see the horse egg up. Bye. Now we have uh, Jumpstart My Heart, and uh, was that done again with Charles? Uh... Yeah, Jumpstart My Heart, Charles Tuberville, and um, that's really more his song than mine. Uh, well, it's actually, it's been about seven years since we did that. Uh, he pretty much had the song. I did some melodic trips here and there on it, but uh it's essentially one of his, you know, if it was like if it was John and Paul, it'd be like, you know, well, John did that when I just, I just, I showed up, you know, and um, he wanted someone to sing it. And it's, it's, well, it's obviously it's a country song. I just felt like, well, you know, I love challenges. So I'd never done any, uh, I've got one or two little semi country things from way back in the, you know, we did some sessions with Gordon Mills back in the day. I don't think any of those made our final cut here. That'd be another show. But he was Tom Jones' manager, and I wrote a couple, and we record those out in uh, his uh, studio, Britannia. You know, he all of them were from Wales. And uh, so Britannia Studios is, is where that was done. But that's a different song. But uh, Jumpstart My Heart, yeah, that's pretty much Charles's. And... Uh, he wanted someone to sing it, and and I just thought it, I thought it was great for country. I thought it was such a great idea, you know, to jump jumpstart the battery, and so I just gave it a go, and there it is. I'm gonna need some help along the way So girl, I was just wondering Do you think it would be fun to Help me get my heart back online Start recuperating I need resuscitating So put your pretty lips right on mine Jumpstart my heart It's been torn You're gonna do your very best Baby, I've been waiting Anticipating The day I start to live in love again I can't stand it any longer And I know I will get stronger I just need your pretty helping hand Jumpstart my heart It's been torn
Why don't we get right to it Or is my broken heart ain't gonna last Yeah, it took a licking So I need to get a ticket I'm going down and I'm a-going fast Jumpstart my heart It's been torn apart I just need a little spark Just a little bit of spark Jumpstart my heart So now we uh, go back to the late 70s and long distance love. Was this the period where you were associated with Dick James? Yeah, I was first um I was first signed with Dick James publishing label. It's it's very strange how it all worked because I I really had no connection with Dick James publishing and as as many of your listeners will probably know Dick James was the the lucky soul that uh, that George Martin rang up and said, hey, I've got this group called the Beatles, and uh, they don't have a publisher, and you want them? <laughs> and I remember reading this in, in George Martin's book, All You Need Is Ears, which is a wonderful read if anyone hasn't read it. And Dick James, I believe the reply was, well, I've got this publishing company. I don't really have anyone signed to it, so yeah, I'll take them. <laughs> so that's how Dick James ended up owning the Beatles catalog. And so I thought it was great. I'm I'm not really sure who really connected me with Dick James. I one of the guys was uh, actually uh, what was it a group out of England called I don't know if I can remember the name. Um, uh, it was uh, the keyboard player for someone like ten years after, and I don't remember those guys very well. But uh, they started doing uh, work, you know, for unsigned things, trying to get record deals for people. And one of them got uh, Supernatural and and uh, a couple of other of my, my demos to DJM in London. And uh, I was very you know excited about the idea of being on the same, a, a, a label name. It was Dick James Records, you know, that was the guy that had had the Beatles. But on the other side of the stick, uh, it was also during that time where if you didn't have a disco record, uh, record companies weren't going to listen to you at all. And it was very sad. Tom Petty and people like that, they really held out. I'd held out as long as I could, and it just seemed like if I don't do something, then you know I'm going nowhere, going backwards really fast. So I, with some regret and remorse, I say I jumped on the bandwagon a little bit and cut a few of that constant – kick drum disco sound but long distance love really uh it's got a little bit more of a you know r&b thing to it and so i still quite like that one and uh so there it is long distance love
now we uh, get a little bit more up to date with uh, Someday Darkness. Tougher sound on this one? Right. That's one of my favorites. You know, it's a rocker, but it's it's very introspective. I pretty much did all of that recording in my little 16-track home studio. Then I took it into Sun Studios in Memphis and with the uh, extraordinary help of James Lott, who I love dearly. We, we cut that one and much of Big Orange Sun. And, um, uh, well, I just think it came out extraordinary well, uh, even though I did most of it on my own. But, you know, we, we put the drums on it. We put the drummer on it. He was actually from London, a guy named uh, Pete Sully, and uh, a great bass player on that from Memphis, just a world-renowned player, Dave Smith. Sunday Darkness is a... It's pretty self-explanatory when you listen to it. Uh, it's it's pretty personal. It's sort of about passing judgment on people because, in, you know, as you know, life lays out some pretty heavy stuff that no one thought was coming. And so be careful before you pass judgment on, on anyone because one of these days darkness may fall upon you and then you'll understand what made them that way. And that's pretty much what it's about.
We're moving back to uh, Zyder Z now, and uh, after the shine's gone, which is from the uh, the new release of uh, Zenith yeah. from Light in the Attic. It's interesting because um, after the shine's gone was actually dated back to uh, the Richard Nixon and uh, and his vice president and the days of all that criminal activity that was going on, you know, out of the White House and the Watergate and all of that. And essentially, it's sort of like a, a little, you know, like a, a little secret message to, to those cats. And ironically, many of us feel as though that uh, is kind of going on again today. It's uh, it's essentially saying, you know, after the shine wears off, uh, they're going to know, and they're going to find out, and you're going to you're going to be stuck with it, what it is you've done, and all the truth coming out. It's really after the shine's gone, it's about all the uh, superficial truths out there. And then after they're gone, then they see who you are and what you've got. And it's, it's ironic that it would come out now. It's kind of a, it's like a message that worked in two different decades. You mentioned Rick Nielsen from Cheap Trick on uh, Man With No Hands, but he was a bit of supporter of uh, Zyder Z a decade earlier, I understand. You know, you hate tooting your tuba, your own tuba like that. But he, I'd actually gotten, they came to Memphis and worked at a very famous studio there, Ardent Studios, and they came there and, and um, they were talking about this group from from the Netherlands called Zyder Z. <laughs> and the engineers in there, they said, no, no, they're, they're not from the Netherlands, man. They're from, they're from here. They're from Memphis. And they went, no, no, get away. They're not. They're, they're, they're from the Netherlands. <laughs> and they said, no, they're actually not because Richard Owens comes in here and he, he he's worked a bit in here and they're from Memphis. And uh, he didn't believe it. And they managed to get an address out of me. And one day, many years ago, I got an envelope and I loved it because it, you know, I opened it up and outpoured. You know, he's so, he was so great with his little, his image thing with all the checkered bits, right? And uh, outpoured, you know, the Rick Nielsen picks and Rick Nielsen buttons, you know, and cheap trick buttons, all with the checkers on everything. And he wrote me a really sweet letter in there. And he's and he and he said all the boys in, in the group, you know, they they just love the band's I to Z. And uh, sorry that they didn't miss. And they actually told me the story in the letter that they really thought that we were from the Netherlands and had no idea that we were out of Memphis at that time. And then for many years after that, we, we got hooked up with uh, Rick Nielsen's uh, manager, and he was a booking agent, and we were constantly missing each other in every city up in the, the Northeast and, you know, Milwaukee and, and, and Wisconsin and all these places. Madison, I think they're out of Madison, Wisconsin, if I'm getting that right. Actually, it's another little town close to there, and I forget the name of it. But yeah, they were actually fans, and uh, it was a wonderful thing to hear.
So after the shine's gone, we uh, we come back to uh, Big Orange Sun, and we featured uh, a number of uh, tracks from from that particular album of yours, Richard. And and this one is Corduroy Vivian's song. This one's got a bit more of a sort of power pop feel to it. Yeah, I I, I think it is. There's a little backstory to that one, which is kind of interesting. We were playing a, a gig in, in Memphis, uh, a great room back in those days called uh, Solomon Alfred's. Had a big back room and a, a little front room, and we played both many, many times. And uh, one night there was this uh, guy came up, and he, you know, I could tell he was he was digging us. And uh, I'd come out of the dressing room, and and he and he came up to me and he said, he introduced himself, and he said, uh, my my wife's birthday's coming up, and I know this is a really crazy thing to ask, but I was just wondering, you know, if you could. Do you think you could possibly write a song for, for my wife's birthday? And I, I, you know, no one has ever asked me anything like that ever again or before. But I knew I could do it. It was another great challenge, you see. So I said, "Sure." I said, "What's her name?" And, and he said, "Vivian." And I th- and I thought, well, that won't sing great, but <laughs> you know, it's a tough one. That won't sing that well. I mean, someone could maybe do it, but I knew I couldn't. But I said, can you could you tell me any, any more about uh, something about you guys, you know? And he just happened to bring up, he said, I said, you know, something that she really thinks about you or something she really hates about you, you know, or something, you know, that give me a little you know, a little more backstory, you know, that I can uh, work with. And I said, you know, like some shoes of yours she hates, you know, or something. And he said, oh, yeah. He said, you know, she really hates this corduroy jacket I have. And she just loathes it. It's like every time I put it on, she says, there's no way we're going anywhere if you're wearing that. I'm not going out with you. You get that dirty, bloody corduroy off. I'm not going out with you with that on. I said, oh, that's perfect. Because I knew corduroy was sing really well. <laughs> so uh, I got together with uh, Steve Mergen and David Mayo of Z and uh, – I actually wrote it in real time with them laying down the beat, much the way really great songs are done. And uh, the whole chorus just came to me, you know, right there on the floor as we were doing it. Remarkably, it rhymed, (laughs) which you can't ever really count on that. But it did rhyme. And, um, you know, all of that, I just it just sort of flooded in my head. I just saw them on a beach, you know. And would you let me lay you down on Lonely Beach? And would you let me love? Would you let me love you in my corduroys? <laughs> so, I put pants on him. It wasn't just about the jacket. I went ahead and put pants on him, and we got in the sand. Oh, oh, I forgot the best part. So I said, he said, could you possibly do that? I'd pay you. He said, what? What are we costing? I couldn't think of anything. I, I thought, well, a uh, hundred dollars. <laughs> you know, a bill, hundred quid. You know, and a. And he said, yeah, that sounds fair. And he paid me $100 to write the song. And so I used to call it the $100 song. So Vivian was immortalized. And, and as, as you would know it, of course, they didn't stay together. And they're no, <laughs> they no longer together. But the song, you know, and that's kind of a, a cool thing because you get, a, you get a song out of it. And I really do. I quite like Corduroy.
So, Richard, we get to the last song of the show, which kind of ties things up. We opened with Zydeze and Lancelot's theme from the new Zenith album, which uh, collects uh, the unreleased material from Zydeze in, in that 1972-73 to 73 period. But I understand that the Zydeze album that got released in 1975 dates from the recording date from a similar period. Uh, I, want, I want to close with the lovely ballad, The Last Song of Its Kind. So all the material from the same period? Um, yes, it is, actually. We, we probably wrote and recorded, um, or I wrote, and we recorded uh, from 71, 72, 73, and into 75. Some of that was done in Nashville with a, a great producer there named Kyle Linning, his name is on on the first album, uh, just side of Z. And um, but we actually cut that one in Los Angeles, where we did a lot of others. Uh, what was that studio? Uh, Producers Workshop. There was one called Devonshire. Was another one. Last song of its kind is where that's probably the uh, the only time that I had the the, the absolute glory of uh, being in the studio with uh, a 31-piece orchestra playing your melodies. And, you know, nothing will break you down like a harpist and, you know, 31 other, you know, incredible string musicians from cellos even to, to the kettle drums. And nothing will bring you to tears than when you hear all that playing your melodies. And the song itself is about, you know, really that deep desire of wanting to write one of those songs that, and I called it Last Song of Its Kind because it's really about a song that you really hope one day you'll write. Not sure I hit the mark on that one, but you really want to write one that touches everything that that really moves your heart and makes people think or both. And I, you know, I really had that deep desire to write one of those really only one song of its kind. And I hope that would be it. So, Richard, um, you know, we talked about how good the uh, the package of Zenith is and it's getting the full deluxe treatment, including vinyl. You know, you, you've got such a, a wealth of uh, unreleased uh, material. Are you hoping, given the prominence of uh, Zenith and, and how it's been being received, that you, you'll be looking to do some, uh, release some new new material? Yeah, absolutely, positively. I would so, so much love to do you know, new material. You know, it's very difficult. All the youngsters are coming up, you know, and they've got their thing, and and, and the rappers and the hip-hop, and they've all got their thing. And, you know, one could jump on those bandwagons again, but there comes a time when you really, you got to stick to your guns, and you got to keep doing why you got into it in the first place. And for me, it was always about the melodies, and then it was always about the rocking part. Yeah, I look forward so much to, to doing new material. I've got hundreds and hundreds of songs written, and I'm not exaggerating because I never stop writing because I'm afraid to. <laughs> Very chicken. I'm a big chicken when it comes to that. I'm afraid if I ever stopped writing that it's too hard to get it started back up again. Thank you so much. It's we we've been talking about doing this for quite a number of years, and it's it's brilliant to be able to finally uh, talk to you, Richard, uh, and and uh, you know include a, a mix of uh, tracks that you've released as well as the uh, 
Well, as, as well as, uh, you know, a number of uh, unreleased tracks. Yeah, Jason, thank you so much. And, and, and you, you have a wonderful, let's see, have a wonderful evening. All right, cheers then. Bye. Yeah, bye-bye. And it starts with the feeling that is one with the moment in your heart. And it ends in the moment you come down and remember who you are. And it disregards and it freezes time while it keeps you warm inside and it shuts things out and ignores the tears keeping sorrow far out It's the last song of its kind And it's feeling And it's fine It's the last song running wild In the wilderness It's a child In the city But a very deep impression will remain to remind you of a girl. It's the last song of its kind, and it's breathing, it's alive. It's the last song of in style in the lifetime it's a reason to get by I it's the type of song that you cry your mind I hope it's not the Thank you for listening to the Strange Brew Podcast. If you do like the show, please consider supporting me on Patreon. 
Patrons get access to unedited interviews as they're done, news, plus even access to my exclusive interview archive. All your support goes into keeping the show running and moving forward and getting amazing guests. To support me, just go to patreon.com forward slash strangebrewpod or go to the strangebrew.co.uk forward slash about. Thanks very much and any reviews on your podcasting services are greatly appreciated. Thank you. Thank you.